I uh, asked Craig Cornelius to share um, our message this morning. And um, what I, my favorite thing about being a pastor really is, is not just, is not about what we do here on Sunday morning, as important as that is, or keeping the business of the church running as, por- as important that is, that is, but really seeing how the love of God is being lived out in your life, in your world. And um, I've been so inspired listening to Craig the last few months, hearing about his work um, and the projects he's working on through his job at Google. And so I've asked him to reflect on that um, this morning and share with us his work. So welcome, Craig. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Buongiorno. Guten Tag. Bonjour. How about aloha? Shalom. Salam, Ocio. How about Shakoli? Onjarama. Some of those were familiar to you. Some of them weren't. Just to give you an idea, the last three were in the uh, in the um, Cherokee language, in the Oneida language, and in the Pular or Fulani language. The last one is from Africa. We'll talk a little bit about this. Jeff, shall we show the pictures? I want to tell you about a journey I've had. I've been at Google uh, working in languages. It was a new job for me, completely new profession, uh, almost 11 years. And it is amazing how an experience can, can change one's life. About nine years ago, I was giving a ride to a man named Vance Black Fox uh, up to a Lutheran Bible camp in the Santa Cruz Mountains, Mount Cross. Some of you may know it. And uh, I asked him casually, well, tell me, tell me about your name. And he said, oh, that's my tribal name. And, I, and then he asked me about my work, and I said, I, I work with languages, adding languages to Google and supporting languages better. He said, I've got to connect you with my cousin at Northeastern College in Tahlequah, Oklahoma, because you have some things that we would like to work with, and they, they might have some things you'd like to know. And that started my connection with the Cherokee Nation. Would you, next slide, please. Oh, yes, uh, skip that one. We'll, we'll come back to it. Uh-oh. Anyway, this will work. Um, uh, one more, please, then. Yes. So the Cherokee language is a language like many others, um, but the Cherokee were faced with a problem 200 years ago. White people were coming in like crazy into Georgia, North Carolina, Tennessee, um, Alabama, where their homeland was, and they were losing their land. They had been on the wrong side of the Civil War, I'm sorry, the Revolutionary War, they went with the British, thinking very rightly that Americans would take over their land. But a man named Sequoia said, I wanna do something about this for my people. He refused to learn the English language because he was so unhappy with what was happening, but he saw the power of books that the white people had, and he said, this is really important. And he saw the books and called them talking leaves which was great because he saw the power that people had when they can read and write their language. So he, with a tremendous amount of work, uh, invented a writing system. He was illiterate himself. He never learned to read English, but he saw some of the characters in English and other books. And he invented this and he took it to the council of the Cherokee and said, this is something that will be powerful for us. They didn't believe it. People thought it was witchcraft, but he said, okay, tell me what to write down, and I will write it down. And he took the proceedings of that, 
His daughter then came into the room. He left, but left the paper. And daughter read back to them exactly what they had said in the proceedings. And within a very short time, the Cherokee Nation has adopted the writing system. It's called a syllabary. It is very phonetic, and so people could learn it very quickly. And in not too long, the Cherokee were a whole lot more literate than the white people around them. And it gave them power. They went to the Supreme Court. They fought the removal, which happened in the 1830s. Some of you may have heard the Trail of Tears. They fought it. John Marshall said they can't be removed, but the president at the time, Andrew Jackson, said, forget it. John Marshall, you can enforce it if you want. And they were removed along with other tribes. A third of the people died on the way to Oklahoma. But one of the things about the Cherokee, which is amazing, is they still have their language. Not hundreds of thousands of them, between eight and 20,000. They don't like people coming and asking how many people speak their language for reasons that uh, they have a little fear of the government. Over the historical times, they've not been treated well by the government. But their writing system and their language have helped them keep them together as a culture. And so the Cherokee Nation is an area in Northeast Oklahoma, and I've been privileged to get to know them. What did we do? Well, we worked, explored some things, and we decided one of the things we could do was get their language prominent on the internet. They had already invented a writing system. They had technology for that, typewriters, and even computers using specialized fonts in their computers and specialized keyboards. But I said, you know, you've got the technology. You have internet. You have Unicode characters that represent your language. Let's get it on Google. And so Google in Cherokee was released in 2011. And then a year and a half later, we released Gmail in Cherokee. And one of the amazing things of working with the Cherokee Nation folks has been that they are a very creative and poetic people. They had to come up with a word for email. And the word for email is lightning paper. And people have heard this and said, oh, you gotta save that language. If they're that poetic with things like email, then they must be amazing people, and they are. Now, I grew up in a town called Maquoketa, Iowa. That is not an English or German name. That's obviously a Native American name. But I knew nothing about Native Americans other than they were here and now they're not. And I think that's what most white Americans learn. They were here, but they're gone, which is absolutely not true. But it's easy to think about those people that disappeared. But these and some other groups have kept on to their language, and that's given them power. Now, even if you've lost your language, you still should have power and the rights. But these folks working with them have shown me many new things about my life as an American and the assumptions I've made. So um, just one more thing about this. We've introduced their fonts and their keyboards, both of which are necessary to use the internet. If you can't show your characters, you need a font to take the bits and turn them into pictures on the screen. And if you can't type it, can't really use your language. Both of those things are available for Cherokee and increasingly other languages on the internet. Now, um, I'd like to switch gears and go back to the Tower of Babel story. What is language? Language is in some ways what makes us human beings. Other creatures have ways of communicating. 5.30 in the morning, the cats jump on the bed and yell at me and I have to feed them. They can communicate that, but beyond basic needs, and fears and desires of my cats, they're not really communicating complex ideas. But in the first chapter of John, 
John says, in the beginning was the Word. And a few verses later it says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Maybe it's not just talking about Jesus coming down. Maybe it is talking about what makes us human. The fact that words, the languages we use, allow us to think and be fully human. Now the Tower of Babel story is a myth. It probably didn't really happen, but it may be true in the sense that it tells us something about our lives. It's a very old story. It's probably pre-monotheism because in some versions it says, God says, let us go down, meaning it's not just him. Christian would say, oh, that's Jesus and the Holy Spirit, but probably it meant the pantheon of gods that were in place at that time. And they said, let's mess them up. They're getting too powerful. It was an expression of fear, God being afraid of the gifts of humanity. And so we were scattered. It explains a lot of things, as most myths do. It explains why there are many languages. It explains why people live in the mountains and in the forest and in the jungles and in the deserts. But it also explains that there is power in language and you need to be careful about it. Why careful? Well, think about language and how it's used. It's used to control, it's used to incite, it's used to motivate. It's used to say, those people over there are the other. How do you know they are? They have an accent. How do you know they can't speak English? How do you know they speak other languages so they're suspect? So you have to be afraid of people who have differences of language. Languages is powerful. But there are other views of language as well. The Quran, I found online, which is really kind of cool, in chapter 30, verse 22, it says, right, and I don't know how the Quran works any, but 3022 is the reference. And among his wonders is the creation of the heavens and the earth, the diversity of your tongues and colors. For in this, behold, there are messages indeed for all who are possessed of knowledge. In other words, don't be afraid of diversity. Don't be afraid of the other. Get to know them. And that fits in very well with our theme of compassion this summer. In our adult class this morning, our chapter was knowledge. Get to know the other. Don't be afraid of them, because when you know them, you will realize there's beauty and joy and things to celebrate rather than being afraid. But how do people use language? Well, first of all, we all learn a language, or at least almost all of us learn it when we're very young. But surely learning a language is hard, isn't it? Well, yes, from an adult point of view it is. But kids, put them in a place where language is spoken and they will learn it. They will learn Korean. They will learn Swahili. They will pick up Burmese. They will learn Russian as long as they're exposed to it. And they are little sponges. I should say we are little sponges when we're little. We absorb it, we get it. But when we're, we're adults, it's much harder. How do, we how do we talk about language being hard? We talk about something being all Greek to me. That means it's really hard to understand. And remember that Paul wrote in Greek. So maybe that explains a little bit about the New Testament being sometimes a little difficult to understand. And language is a lot more than just the words and the grammar. Language is understanding something about the culture, something about the way people live, the idioms, je ne sais quoi, means I don't know, which is an expression in French meaning, ah, I don't know, but it's still wonderful. Um, but when you are learning a language, as an adult especially, it's hard to feel comfortable, it's hard to feel fluent, it's hard to feel like you know well, you know how to fit in. And so you feel vulnerable. You feel like you're the other. 
and being the other is very uncomfortable. Now, how many of you ever remember your parents saying to you, don't you use that tone with me, young man? Or young woman? Or don't raise your voice? Why is that? Well, it's meant to control. It's meant to calm you down and putting it charitably, it's meant to help you learn how to be a person in civil society. But it isn't always used that way. Think about um, what the dominant culture does. It uses its language to govern. We need a language to govern. We need to communicate these things. But very often, you have to use this language, and that's the only way that the laws are written. That's the only way that you will be able to read the laws. That's the only way that they will be interpreted. You go to court, and you use the dominant language. If you are not a fluid speaker of the dominant language, you are immediately at a disadvantage. Think of the people fighting for immigration rights right now. They have to have advocates because many of those people are not fluent English speakers who are being put into cages, who are being stopped at the borders. It is used by governments actively to identify the other. And I don't just mean our government, it's happened throughout history. Um, there's a term called shibboleth. Anybody heard the term shibboleth? It's a term from the Old Testament. It says, I can identify those Gideonites by the way they say something. And therefore, they are the other. Therefore, I, don't have to tr or I can find out who to trust and not to trust. But in World War II, there was a shibboleth, the name of Scheveningen. And I'm saying it wrong completely. It's by the Den Haag. It's a name in the Netherlands that the Dutch soldiers, or the Dutch people would ask, say Scheveningen. And Germans couldn't say it. And so a lot of German spies were caught by the shibboleth. So language is powerful. What do the privileged do? Well, they often see those who are speaking another language as a threat or as a signal that those other people aren't completely under my control. Have you ever heard of in a factory where people working on the line would like to speak Spanish or Burmese or whatever language there. There's a Burmese chicken factory that I visited or that I went by when I was on a bike ride in Iowa. In Iowa, Burmese people, it was a little incongruous. But I bet in that factory that the supervisors have the rule that you can't speak their language in the line. If you want to speak, you have to speak English. Why? Because the supervisor has to be in control. The supervisor has to be sure that they're not plotting against me or not trying to form a union, maybe. Language is power, and the control of language and what people can use is powerful. You've heard of stories where people from Native American tribes were kidnapped from their homes, put into boarding schools for their own good, not allowed to use their native language, not al allowed to raise or wear their hair long, not allowed to wear their clothes. They were forced to be Americans purposely to erase their identity as people of the Indian in them. Um, we force the dominant language on schools. It's controversial, but we do have schools that are usually monolingual, and the bilingual education movement is a reaction to that. Is it a good thing? Well, there are arguments on both sides, but you need to know that language is power, and I need to unlock my keyboard. Excuse me. Oh, you got it. Good. Um, I'd like to tell you another story. This is the story of Adlam. I read a story in the, in the uh, Atlantic Magazine, Adlam, the alphabet that will save a people from disappearing. Adlam 
is an invention of two of the brothers who are in the middle of this picture, Abdullah and Ibrahim Barry. They are from Guinea. They now live in the United States. But when they were in their teens, their father said, our language, called Pular in Guinea, isn't well represented. You can type it if you have to in Latin characters or in Arabic characters, but for people to learn how to write their language, they had to go to the French school to learn what the Latin character sounded like, or they had to go to the Arabic school to learn what the Arabic letters said. So imagine if someone said, you can, you can learn how to write your language, but first you have to learn Chinese so that you can write English in Chinese characters. It could be done, but what's the barrier? How many people are actively going to do that? So what's the level of literacy and education in this language? Very low. But these boys, literally boys when they were doing this, invented a phonetic writing system. They taught it their family, they taught it their friends, they refined it, that spread. Later, after they'd done this, when they were in their early college years, one of them went to a market in Senegal, another country, and a woman was selling her goods and had writing on the front of her stand in this alphabet. And they went up to her and said, tell me about that alphabet. And she said, oh, this is great. I can read and write without having to go to school, and you can learn it too. <laughs> Considering they'd invented it, they probably knew it already, but they were amazed that this had spread. This is the second example of an indigenous writing system being developed and being adopted widely. Now, it is growing. And um, in this article, it mentioned, when I first read this article, it mentioned that just like Sequoia 200 years ago, these brothers have invented something that will save their people. So I said, I got to talk to them. I found some way to get their email. And for some reason, they responded. They had assumed that once they got their writing system into a standard, the Unicode standard, which also has brought you emojis, by the way, um, for better or worse, um, Adlon was in there in the middle of 2016. And they assumed that all the big companies would immediately start putting up keyboards and fonts and put it on their websites and all these things. And exactly what you might expect happened, which was silence. Why? Who cares? It's just a country in Africa, just a bunch of Africans, no economic incentive whatsoever. But when I contacted them and I said, maybe we can do some things together, they jumped at the chance. And we've been working together for the last year and a half plus, and we have gotten them some things to test out how their alphabet can be used on the internet. They came to Google, they gave a talks at Google, which talks, not toxic, talks at Google, that describes their language and how they developed it and how it spread. And people from the Google Fonts team were there. People from the Google Keyboard team were there. And they said, boy, this is really cool. We got to, we got to support this, just like I'd done with the Cherokee several years before. Their message was spread, not by me, but by themselves. And so in December of last year, Android came out with their keyboard and their font so they can write their language. Now, not everybody has an Android that's up to date to do this yet. But the 40 million people who speak this language all across Africa, from Mauritania on the Atlantic coast, and Senegal and Guinea, through Nigeria, Niger, Cameroon, Sudan even, the 40 million people who speak this language can start learning this and using it. 
My goal is with support for languages that kids after school will text to their friends and arrange where they're going and then text to their parents lies about where they're not going. <laughs> yes, we're going to the library. No, we're going out smoking behind the barn. Um, maybe that's not the ideal outcome, but it's possible now for these people. Is Google making any money off of this? Is anybody making any money off of this? No. Is it the right thing to do? I think so, because it's enabling people to keep their culture, keep their heritage, and keep their self-respect, which is really important. Now, when I talk to my friends in the Cherokee Nation, they get a little upset when Americans know that Cherokee, oh yeah, that's a kind of Jeep. They want people to know them for themselves, that they are a people who have all the rights and privileges and self-respect and ideas that we should know as anyone else. Now, um, Jeff, back? Yes, this will do. Um, how many languages would you guess are in the world? Anybody have an idea? Is it more than 100? More than 1,000? It's on the order of 7,000 people think now. It's impossible to know. And about, and over half of those have some written form, mostly introduced by missionaries. Almost all the Native American languages use the Latin writing system because that's what the missionaries knew. The Cherokee were unique in developing their own. A very few other places in the world have developed their own writing systems. But languages are endangered all around the world. The big ones, I bet you can guess what the biggest language group in the world is. Mandarin Chinese, followed closely by English, as people who can re use it to some extent, followed by Spanish and Arabic and Japanese and Russian and Hindi, Urdu and Punjabi and other languages that you've never heard of in the top 20. But there are tens of millions of people who speak these languages. Those languages are gonna be going for a while. They're gonna survive. But what about Cherokee, with fewer than 20,000 speakers? They discovered that nobody under 40 was learning the language. And so that was a motivation for them to ramp up their language, find ways of developing teaching materials, have immersion schools for their children, and they've been successful. In Africa with Adlam, it isn't so much a movement to support their alphabet, it's a literacy movement. And when you get literacy and the right people doing literacy, you're gonna teach girls and women and people all across the social spectrum how to deal with this. Now, one of my friends, Ibrahim, spent a year in jail because the government said, what's this writing system? But now, at the conference that they invited me to in January in Africa, where there were 800 people excited about their alphabet. And as I walked into the room, they chanted, Google, Google, Google. That's actually quite intimidating. <laughs> Um, they are excited about the opportunities that literacy will have for them, their children, and their families and culture. But a lot of the endangered languages around the world are endangered. Many of them have 50 or fewer speakers. Are they all going to survive? No. The estimate is about half of them will disappear by the end of this century. That's a rate of about one language dying every two weeks. Now, many of them are dying in places where the language has never been documented. 7,000 is a big number for linguists. But what happens when a language dies? Who cares? Well, what does a language encode? 
Just imagine, what would France be without French? What would um, Japan be without the Japanese language? It's kind of like if the, you go to school and you say, all the sciences are important, but you're only going to study chemistry. We'll, we will only speak about things in chemical language. Well, what about the physics? What about biology? What about social sciences? No, chemistry. Everything important is in chemistry. That's like saying all you need is one of the dominant languages. Those small language groups encode things, have knowledge about their place in the world. In Australia, there are people who have languages that name the plant and the grasshopper that feeds on the plant the same thing. Why do they have the same name? Because when the grasshoppers come to the eat on that plant at the right time, that's the time the plant is good for harvesting its fruit. That's the time. It's encoded in the language when something is possible, when it's a good time to harvest, or when it's a good time to move on to the next place. And you can see that there are lots of little dots in Australia, Papua New Guinea, parts of India and Africa, where hundreds of languages are at great risk of disappearing. So finding ways to help people keep their languages is really important. Are the keyboards we're working on going to do it all? I wish I could say yes. But trying is the most important thing. Now. Um, there's a lot more I could talk about with this. I'm working on other languages. I'm working with a group in Bangladesh on a language called Chakma. 330,000 people speak this, but fewer than 1,000 people actually read and write it anymore. But they've got a keyboard, they've got a font. Pretty soon they'll have it on mobile devices. They're excited as heck about this. <laughs> I'm working with people from Africa, other Native American groups, and anyone else who's interested I would like to find ways of helping them help themselves. Now, the church started after Jesus ascended, and the, the disciples were all sitting around waiting for something to happen. And what happened? There was a sound, a sound of a rushing wind. And what did they see? They saw fire. But they don't just say fire, they say tongues of fire on people's heads. And what happened? All of a sudden, they were speaking languages that everyone around them. Uh, Jeff, let's go forward. Uh, yet one more. This is the place, these are the places, I found this great little map online. These are the places from which these people had come, devout Jews from every country, all around, all from the Eastern Roman Empire. And those were the people that could understand what these Galileans, these uneducated Galileans, were saying. How did they do it? I have no idea. They definitely did not have machine translation helping them out. But in some way, it happened. It's not for me to ask why, I'm sorry, how, but I know what happened. What happened was that people saw that people are speaking my language. It's not only that I can understand, but I get respect. And this is something that's for me when people are going to me and asking me about my language, how to say it in my language, rather than missionaries bringing the English Bible or the German Bible to them. They were bringing the word to them in a language they could understand. And that's why it spread, not just because we got this great thing for you, but you have to learn to speak Greek to do it or speak Galilean. 
will speak to your language. So, I don't know how to stop because there's so much fun stuff to say. Uh, one more slide. But I'd like to think it's like this. I'd like to think that that first Pentecost for the Christian church, the church's birthday was like this. People talking in the street, excited about sharing things in language they could understand and thinking, I can tell my friends, I can tell my family. And maybe today, it's like this on the right side, which is the language selection, which I picked in French here, that shows that I can have multiple languages to speak. I, if there's something in Cherokee, that will come up. But my French and my English and my D German and my Burmese and all of these are possible on my modern devices. Do I speak all these languages? No. Does anyone speak more than 15, 20 languages? No. But we're in a place where we need to understand each other and critically, there are the abilities for people to understand each other. So what I'd urge you to do is learn compassion. Compassion by being with people. Compassion by learning how they speak. Even if you can't learn their language, acknowledge that what they speak, what they do in their own languages is important. Give voice to them. Allow them to speak. And listen to what they say. And let it touch your heart. Let yourself be changed and let their voices rise. Amen.